off the ball. He is desperate to beat Shearer's record. There's no doubt about that. If he does beat Shearer's record, that record may last forever. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Yep, let's get straight into it. And I think we're starting in uh, Istanbul and UEFA being in the red. Uh, of course, Champions League final in the, the Ataturk Stadium in Istanbul on Saturday evening. And, Jerry, you had a... An interesting journey to get to the stadium, let's just say. Uh, yeah, I didn't realise we were first up here, so I was uh, like, oh, OK. Uh, Grant, we should start with this then. Um, so the Champions League obviously had was supposed to be in Istanbul in the year of COVID. Mm. And uh, so I think, I think a lot of people are surprised that last year was obviously a complete shit show where the French police were entirely unprepared for what was going to happen. They tried to blame the Liverpool fans for what happened and ultimately it proved to be... Uh, UEFA ticketing nonsense and also uh, French policing nonsense and uh, nothing to do with the Liverpool fans whatsoever and it was really really dangerous there were crushes and and it could have been um, a really significantly um, dangerous outcome so everybody assumed this year things would run with you know uh, military precision and everybody would be very careful but it turns out the Ataturk Stadium is really really difficult to get to there's there's two ways to get to it. Uh, one is a metro, which is relatively newly opened, which the Manchester City fans were told not to use because that was going to be how the Inter fans got out there. And um, then the other way was to go by road. And uh, it turns out the, roads, the road network isn't very good to get to the Ataturk. It kind of seems to be like on this, uh, almost like an island with one tiny road in and one tiny road out. And so everybody who went out on the buses... Uh, got out there and then there was loads of traffic and so from about two and a half hours three hours beforehand the roads out were basically blocked and you weren't going anywhere um, some of the man uh, Miguel Delaney had a great piece in the Independent yesterday where he was reporting on that the Man City fans who got the buses that they were scheduled to get were told sorry you're not going to be allowed to bring any water into the stadium so you're going to have to give us the water now before you get on the buses and then the sun beats down and everybody's on the buses with no water and they're trapped and some people are puking on the buses. Oh. Some people are pissing out the windows. Jesus. There's no toilets and it just sounds like it was not much fun. Uh, so all you got to do at that stage is get out and walk and you'd, a lot of people got out and walked and they walked on the roads which it turned out are kind of like you know M50 style roads where you're literally walking in the road and there's a, a hard shoulder and sure the only ones who are going up and down the hard shoulder are the cops who are flying so you're, you're, if, if, if I didn't go this way but um, if we, we got a, a, a minibus there was seven of us going out eight of us going out and we got a minibus and we got out with about you know what looked like an hour of a walk left to go and uh, our, our group got separated and I'll explain why in a moment and so some of them went that way with the M50 and they were like you're literally walking on the dual carriageway and uh, there's, there's traffic which is obviously choked except on the on the hard shoulder which is full of cops who are like going past you and it's like uh, this doesn't seem very safe uh, again sun beating down and everybody's like a little bit anxious getting to kick off so when we when we got to uh, where we had to abandon 
we bumped into some locals who were like, oh, you can just go, you can walk down there. It's 10 minutes, 10 minutes. So, you know, took that at face value. <laughs> and we looked down and we're like, sure enough, there was like a, a, a very hilly Istanbul, a big kind of green park, which was like nice. And there was like families eating uh, picnics and playing football. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a nice little gentle stroll up to the stadium. And then, uh, and then we, we got to a, uh, a road and looked okay there's a bit of scrubland that looks like we'll be able to walk up there and again um, that was when things took a little bit of a turn <laughs> <laughs> just a bit yeah so there's like there's no one around really apart from like a, a, a line of ants human ants in the distance who are like look like they're walking up um, what looks like a path to the stadium but it turned out it wasn't a path to the stadium it was just scrubland and to get to the scrubland there was um you know, you know those canals that they have in in LA where there's never any water and it's like there's drag racing. That, because they were in every movie ever. Grand Theft Auto, yeah. Exactly, but to to get to the canal, there's like a sheer wall of stone that you have to slide down. And you know, obviously, we were, we'd had a few beers and oh, this is going to be fine. So you get down and you're like, oh, I can't get back up. There's no there's nowhere to go here. So then, for the next hour, basically, we had to. Uh, climb through scrubland to get to the top of it. We've got some, I've, I've got some videos. Well, let's roll it there, Roshin. First one, please. So this is the very top. This is after 45 minutes of climbing. You're like, oh, we're finished. No, we're not finished. At the Ataturk, but not quite. Having climbed over the Shawshank River of shit <laughs> to get up here. That's like, that looks much more steep than it does. Uh, sorry. That doesn't look anywhere near as steep as it actually is in real life. Yeah, uh, like, it's kind yeah. of remarkable we have you here this morning at all well you know it turns out a few drinks is exactly what you need otherwise <laughs> yeah. but th- that was the thing in retrospect like if somebody had gone over on their ankle you were never getting out you were never getting out they weren't sending a helicopter in to get you they were like well you're a fool what are you doing why didn't you walk along the M50 like everybody else uh, so there's one more there where you actually I, so there's another bit of scrub which I've got anyway the, uh, poison ivy and stuff that you had to crawl over oh yes Mm. This is actually up at the very top. That's the stadium. Well, kind of the stadium, and then that's Here's where we came from. The whole way back up. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe so you had to get across that road to get to the stadium. Oh well, then then there's like a tiny little ravine that you have to get over, and you're kind of in around the sides. It just it was one of the worst organised things you're ever going to see. And like Istanbul is a an amazing teeming multiplicity of human life. It's um. But it's definitely not the right place. There, there, are, there are grounds within the, the, the uh, you know, walkable access from the city. I'm not sure they have the right capacity. And then at the stadium, the concessions were apparently an absolute nightmare. It's like only two for food or something in the entire stadium. And uh, one of the guys we were with had food and was like, the burger was raw, the sausage was raw. It was Ooh. like completely inedible by the time um, that happened. So not enough water, not enough supplies. Just a general shit show from UEFA again, who don't seem to care about the football fans. And after last year, you would have thought like they would have made a significant investment in making sure that this one passed off. But I don't know. Will it make any? Will it make a blind bit of difference? Because on, on the TV, the stadium, the stadium visually looked unbelievable. Oh. So you're thinking oh, that's this the is thing class. I couldn't understand, like watching it because I'd seen all the stuff on Twitter beforehand, and then they had the like, pre-match show, and I was like, this is incredible. That must yeah. have cost them so much money. Like even to get three acts alone, that must have cost like millions. And 
then you see all the chaos and you're like, well, why couldn't you put that into like water or toilets mm. or all the very basics that you actually need to host an well, event? If this the size? transport was like that in 2023, what was it like in 05? For I think it was the same. I don't think it's it actually it hasn't changed. Well, oh, sorry, the, I think there's been a metro built in the meantime. There, at one stage, right, we were walking out and um, we could see the metro in the distance and it looked like the metro was entirely empty. I don't know if it, like they dropped everybody off the stadium or a stop early, but it definitely didn't look like the Metro was as full. And this was getting close to kickoff time, so maybe the Interfans had all got out early. Mm. And uh, it was taunting us anyway. There was definitely some empty well, train Well, a lot of the reports like, that I saw were that anyone who did get the Metro were actually probably the best off. Like, it wasn't particularly comfortable, and it did still take a while, but, I mean, it wasn't scrambling over ravines yes. and yeah. getting stung by poison ivy like yourself. <laughs> uh, where's your sense of adventure, Ger? Actually, it was, we did, we, you know, it was, it was, in retrospect, really dangerous. Uh, in in the in the moment, we're like, yeah, look, this, this is great. But anyway, turns out you're bad luck for Champions League finals, Jer. Like you've been to both of those horrific ones the last couple of years. As the one in Madrid was was really straightforward and really great. True. Yeah, there were some fans breaking through in the uh, Liverpool. Is it Wembley game. next year? You can go it again. Is, it is Wembley next yeah. year. Yeah. At least it'll I mean, be hopefully they will have learned. <laughs> like Wembley, so safe. All right. Obviously, no problems at Wembley oh, ever. Never, never. No. There is a Europa League final in Dublin next year, so. Mm. Um, Maybe maybe Dublin is the place to go. Hopefully know. the dart is better than the Turkish Metro. Turkish not so delight. Hey. For Jared, yes, hey for right, keep going. Yeah, move on. Uh, also in the red are the uh, provincial losers in the hurling yesterday. I mean, just drama. Drama, drama, drama. They shouldn't be in the red, really, should they? Possibly This is, this is just to shoehorn a reference to the hurling in before we get to Sarah Donovan. Because, uh, like, you can't put Clare and Galway in the red after what they've done. No, of course not. Uh, so this is more of a technicality. Let's talk about hurling and find some way. They're in the red because they they lost. Well, I mean, I feel like Galway will definitely feel like they're in the red this morning after the way, like, Henry Shefflin, he didn't do any media after the game yesterday, apart from chatting to Galway Bay FM. Yeah. And he said he'd just come out of the dressing room and the, he was like, I, I don't even know what to say to them. Like, they're just absolutely devastated. There is like a pile of gloom over the entire room which you can totally oh, understand. Another 4 in a row for Kenny and then like I, I was sitting watching with my Galway father yesterday and you can imagine when you're back from 8 points down and you get to the 2 point lead, he was buzzing. He was buzzing in injury time. 75 minutes on the clock um, and Podrick Mannion of course loses his hurl, kicks the ball clear, what else is he going to do? But of course he kicks it directly to the Kenny sub Killian Buckley and the rest is history buried in the bottom it's like you know in commentary when someone's like you know they just need to kick it anywhere they just need to put the ball anywhere away from goal and you're like no it's not just anywhere but anywhere (laughs) isn't exactly accurate the Um, away away from goal is the point like maybe don't kick it right back across your own goal again like um, so maybe maybe the aspects of goal's performance will be in the red but the fact that they've come back from where they were in that game the fact that Conor Whelan exploded into the championship uh, in a meaningful way and their their side of the draw, like you know, it's going to be very difficult for them to get back to an All Ireland semi final, but it's not impossible at this point. Mm. So this is where you know Shefflin is really going to have to uh, make his bones as an intercounty manager because he's got to pick the dressing room up. But at the same time, they're very very close to being able to beat Kilkenny, and like we know that they're we know that they have all the accoutrements required to be able to mount a challenge. Limerick are not as far ahead of everybody as they have been in previous years. There's, an, there's a winnable All-Ireland left for all the teams who were contenders at the start of the year. They're still contenders now. Yeah, 100%. And, and like there were aspects of Goa's performance you can be pleased with, like the, the like six points to one early quick start. Kilkenny, of course, come back into the game. Um, and like Con- Conor Whelan was brilliant. 
was it one six from play and and like there was a number of players in that Galway team. They do seem to let teams back into it in the Dublin game. The last day out was was concerning, but level at half time, and then you think Galway have it won, and it's just absolute gut wrenching stuff. And the little quick handshake between Dirtling and Henry Shefflin afterwards uh, spoke volumes. Shefflin was clearly devastated. The photo um, of Brian Cody from the stands yeah, the minute the buzzing. goal goes in is excellent. Fair play to whichever of the photographers that had it. Probably had the camera just like trained on him for like those final few moments just to get any reaction possible. Yeah, and TJ Reid, I think he had one miss from 10 shots and one of those frees in the second half from downtown was just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, can he be like, like straight into an All-Ireland semi-final? Galway have to, of course, play the winner of Tippin Offaly in a very difficult quarter-final. Um, and then, of course, play Limerick in a semi-final if they, if they do win that. So they're going to have to do it the hard way. Um, but it remains to be seen. Claire, of course... Again, like did did very little wrong in that game, so hence why it's probably harsh to have them in the in the red one twenty three to one twenty two. And I suppose the, the talking point is the controversy at the end, the decision making from from the referee, a uh, couple of fouls that looked like fouls to to most people uh, with eyeballs. And, one was uh, like a full on rugby tackle. Yeah, it would have been a red card in rugby. And then of course there's the whole madness of the like the ball being waved wide and the fans running on prematurely and everyone had to get back off. Uh, just a bit of a carnage finish to that one at the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick. Um, it feels like Claire did kind of leave it behind them watching it. I mean, there was like five or six shots that they missed just before halftime that all went wide and mm. that just felt like the moment for them to really like turn the screw on Limerick and get that lead, like a nice lead going into the second half. I feel like they'll definitely be more annoyed at themselves than Galway are annoyed at themselves I think Galway probably did as much as they could and it was just an utter shame that they let the goal in at the end whereas Clare will definitely feel like they should have done more against Limerick Clare are now in Munster they're the Mayo of Munster in terms of the Munster Championship so they've lost now six finals since last winning in 1998 like Tony Kelly will he be the greatest player never to win a Munster hurling title I don't know surely he's going to win one before he uh, retires but um you have to say, like, John Kiley got everything right. In-game management was, was excellent. Um, and, and Limerick, I know you say, like, the, the other teams have probably closed the gap. They've definitely closed the gap. Yeah, but, but you still, like, Limerick now in an All-Ireland semi-final against a Galway or a Tip, you'd still fancy them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously you'll fancy them. Um, they do have injuries. They've got plenty of time for those injuries to come right. They said that Keane Lynch will be in... Um, Available and uh, John Kiley said there'll be no hungrier man in the world than mm. Keane Lynch. But the, so the, uh, Christy O'Connor has a brilliant piece today in the Examiner. He's talking about the efficiency that Limerick had versus what Clare had. Clare's conversion rate was forty eight percent, with the number as low as forty two percent in the second half. Limerick's was sixty five percent in the same period. Clare's freeze from harder positions, albeit, but their conversion rate from place balls was forty five percent compared to Limerick's eighty nine percent. They also dropped six short as well. Aaron Galan uh, from 12 possessions scored 1-3 and fouled for another 3 frees and could have had another goal as well so I don't know how how much more Limerick can do but it does feel as if teams are beginning to believe that they can beat them and getting closer to beating them and have actually beaten them this year like that's the thing that this isn't the unconquerable Limerick that we've seen before which I think sets it up brilliantly so uh, two, four, five, five good hurling matches Guarantee of five good hurling matches, I think. Yeah. Assuming that they can recover. That was the big problem. That like you put everything into this. And this is the one reason why they could both be in red. 
we saw last year that losing the Munster final took so much out of Clare mm. at the very end when uh, so they, they scraped through the next game and then just couldn't get up for Croke Park so if the same thing happens this year it'll be devastating for them yeah, if, they, if, they, if they're not able to perform in a semi-final but you know like they're going to be able to put things right in the semi-final against the same opponents yeah they'll have other chances for sure uh, like Brian Lohan will probably be disappointed Conor Cleary uh, like his injury was was a rough one for them to take and then he puts Kean Nolan on Aaron Gillan and Nolan struggled heavily it has to be said Gillan was having a field day and then I thought they were maybe a little bit too late to make the switch uh, so yeah a couple of decisions as you say Kathleen Clare maybe left it behind them a little bit so yeah both in red Clare and Galway but on a technicality we'll move on to Amber and Manchester City give them the credit that they deserve albeit with 115 potential financial breaches to come uh, and those charges of course we'll wait and see what happens with those but on the pitch in Istanbul um, not, not the dominant City performance that some people maybe expected but again it's a Champions League final there's pressure it's a treble on the line Pep Guardiola's legacy at City at stake and uh, uh, the Rodri goal was a lovely little finish um, the De Bruyne injury people were thinking this, is, uh, this makes it interesting and torn the hamstring off so a few months out not that it matters necessarily over the summer um, Stones was brilliant again uh, both goalkeepers excellent I thought like the chances for Inter Milan at the end you're like this is this is going to go to extra time Lukaku I don't, like, are we calling Lukaku's header a, a horrendous miss as Chris oh. Sutton called it or an unbelievable yeah. save by Onana? no what are you doing he, uh, it was straight at him <laughs> Lukaku no the power was excellent um, and there was the, the defender jumping in, in front of the flight of the ball to, to maybe put him off slightly so I thought actually even connecting with the header that well was, was something but it, like nine times out of ten if you connect that well with the header mm. keeper's not going to save it there's a good story I think it's in the Guardian this morning someone's writing about it about Guardiola that he was in the lift in the stadium I think going to do like media or something and uh, there was a TV nearby and it was showing replays of the Lukaku chance mm. and he was just like standing there staring at it and someone asked him a question being like you know do you think he should have scored or whatever and either he didn't hear it or he pretended not to hear it and the reporter said he just like kind of blew out a breath and was like <sighs> and walked off and got into the elevator and you could o- they were saying you could almost see the like relief in his face he knew like nine times out of ten that's probably going in and that's anywhere your... except straight at the goalkeeper and it's it's a goal anywhere except straight at the goalkeeper he literally it's like the keeper is kind of uh, I mean it's not like it was a brilliant piece of goalkeeping that had him in the right position for where Lukaku was going to head it it's like <laughs> Lukaku is like oh the guy over there yeah, I'm going to pass it to him yeah. oh, no, I'm not supposed to pass it to him <laughs> he's not on my team <laughs> there was a there was a nice little battle on, on Instagram I don't know if people saw this between Rio Ferdinand and Brandon Williams over the game I saw I saw that he Brandon Williams post something on his Instagram story or something and Brandon he Williams said nobody wants a sloppy seconds basically which uh, I presume referred to the 1999 treble uh, so maybe he'd had a couple of beers and he was feeling a little bit uh, tetchy on Instagram and um, then he calls out Rio Ferdinand Rio bet you don't congratulate if you were was a player keep the same morals snooze face emoji two faces boring I don't know anyway doesn't take away from City's performance and win and victory and Pep Guardiola's uh, like it's hard to compare himself and Alex Ferguson and I saw a lot of people doing that at the weekend and that seemed to be the the narrative but um, what he's done with Manchester City regardless of the the financial stuff that uh, we'll wait and see what happens um, on the pitch it's been outrageous he's built a team that that could become a dynasty Um, um, I 
I, I just, no? You just got to be careful penciling stuff in the future. We're always in the rush to go, oh, this is going to be clear. They're going to dominate forever. But like, yeah. uh, take, if, if Silva goes, if Gundogan goes, which is very realistic, like, uh, and they couldn't control the game in the second half against Inter. Uh, maybe that's because there's so much at stake and it's been so long in the build-up. But, I don't know, I, again, a little bit like Limerick, it felt like teams are beginning to find a way to play against Pep and they're beginning to find a way. To, like, Inter finished third in Serie A and created as many good chances in the game as Manchester City did. And it seemed relatively straightforward for them and their their management team to work out, OK, um, press when we need to, make sure that we have incredible energy around the pitch and obviously there just was a bit of a blunt edge and maybe if there's a slightly better striker they would have scored and potentially would have scored twice mm. so I, like, I, I'm just not I'm not penciling in for a dynasty yet I don't think um, you know uh, Kathleen were you talking about the um, previous treble winners or the comparison between yeah well it was talking about Alex Ferguson and when he won the treble and the fact that like the following year he made quite a few missteps in terms of like bringing players in and trying to like switch things up and then it was talking about Guardiola and when he won the Champions League and they brought in um, Zlatan the following year and how much of a disaster that was got rid of Esho and how it took Guardiola almost like another season or two to actually kind of regain some sort of confidence or trust in himself and um, like he just didn't it was almost like because he'd reached that pinnacle he didn't trust the players in front of him in the same way he did to do it again and the question was well what's he going to do now like you were saying there's like four or five players that they're looking to re-sign on contract extensions this summer also another couple of players are going to try and bring in they missed out on Jude Bellingham but there's a few others how what's the decision making process like when you've reached the pinnacle you've won the treble where do you go? What do you do? How do you improve a team like that? Yeah, I think actually De Bruyne's injury isn't just a no big deal. Like he is getting to the stage of his career where ripping the hamstring off your bone is going to be really serious and it might be Christmas before he's back in form and then does he get back in form and does he still have the same desire and drive now having finally scaled the mountain and become one of the all-time great footballers in in history. So I'm just not, like obviously they have endless resources. We know this, but um, so do many of the other teams in uh, in the Premier League, and it depends on who ends up buying Manchester United. Like it, you know, um, this and again the the repercussions for the allegations of the cheating and the cover up that they stand accused of. That's obviously why they're not in the green. Um, I think all of that. I, I I don't feel like this is the beginning of a dynasty at all. I feel like this is a team who are kind of getting over the clawing over the line at the end. Well, so to become a, a win, to become a team of winners, you need to bottle the, uh, the agony of defeat, which like those knockout stage uh, exits to Leon Spurs, Real Madrid, the final defeat to Chelsea two years ago. They obviously bottled that. If they can bottle this, uh, what Rio Ferdinand calls addictive feeling of winning, that that's how you become a dynasty. Like you have to bottle the absolute joy of this feeling. Zidane's. Zidane's Real Madrid, right, were vaguely or barely capable of winning a league and putting in the, the consistency over uh, a couple of years, uh, week in, week out, but were able to win back to back to back, right? Mm. Incredible stuff. Uh, and they were, they were a European Cup dynasty by the definition of what you're talking about. But, like, it's just such a different competition. Mm. I, 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 let's wait and see. Fergus Kehoe in the comments Jock Steen won a quadruple with a team costing next to nothing Alex Ferguson won a treble with a team containing Ronnie Anson and Jesper Blomqvist but Pep with his unlimited resources is a genius 
This is this is the argument thrown against Pep, isn't it? Well, Pep is a genius. Yes, like, yeah. uh, that's like Pep is a genius. What he did at Barcelona and the style of football that he developed. Some of the he, his teams have played some of the greatest football ever seen. Like that's like oh, well, I'm a Man United fan. And I can't appreciate anything. Other than, I'm like, come on, come on. <laughs> like, like no one thinks Ferguson was a genius in terms of his tactical ability. What Ferguson could do was organize and manipulate and cajole and bully and force of personality turn Aberdeen into a team who was capable of, of uh, stopping the old firm. So, like, these are different things and it's okay for other people to be good at something that your team is also good at. <laughs> it's true. It's right, true. come on, come on. Yeah, let's we'll move on. Let's go on, come on. Get on to the green and we'll move on to uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, who, of course, won his 23rd Grand Slam title at the weekend, a men's record, uh, moving him one clear of Rafa Nadal in terms of men's majors. So now level with Serena Williams, one off Margaret Court's all-time record of 24. He's 36, still has chances to win it. Uh, of course, Wimbledon being his next opportunity to break that record. Um, and Margaret Court's record are equal it. Uh, and it was, a, it was a good match. In terms of Djokovic's performance, because that uh, first set tie break was probably the the turning point. Djokovic, uh, and I think Jenny Claffey said it to us last week, he's just unbelievable when it comes to tie breaks. And mm-hmm. uh, he won that tie break seven one, goes on to win the second set six three, and then the, the uh, third and final set, as it turned out, seven five. Um, the first man to win all four majors at least three times as well. So uh, he's taking these off. Kasparud will be disappointed, but uh, another experience of a Grand Slam final for him. Um, just what? a pity the Alcaraz semi-final wasn't the actual final because that was yeah. such a good matchup between the two of them. And it feels like this is kind of like the future versus the... Well, not the past. You can't really call it Jokovic's past mm. considering what he's doing now, but the getting slightly older. <laughs> yeah, the sheer dominance of, of Novak Djokovic is just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yay. So, good man, Novak. Yeah, I know. Yay. The, villain, the villain wins. Such a <laughs> great hero for the world. Yeah. Man City um, and Novak. We'll move on to the other green, I think, because it deserves probably a couple of minutes extra. Rashida Adelecki, uh, you mentioned it at her at the top of the show, Jar, and she's just unbelievable. I mean, the the, the numbers, as you said, um, and, and we kind of spoke about it before the weekend as well, this NCAA like, record and, and race against Britton Wilson, this girl who she's had a lot of uh, battles with, uh, a lot of defeats too, it has to be said. Uh, but uh, extraordinary time of 49.20 seconds for Rashida uh, to take 400 metres gold. It's on her home track in Austin, Texas as well. That knocked another three-tenths of a second uh, off her national record for the event, which uh, she's now broken for the third time this outdoor season, uh, which is incredible. It's only 0.07 seconds off uh, Wilson's collegiate record. Um, she finished at 49.64. Um, it's, it's outrageous. And you said, Jer, how, how those numbers compared to... to like it would have been good enough to take gold at the 400 metres to the Europeans in Munich last summer, silver at the last World Championships, and a podium place at every single Olympic Games this century. Uh, it's the third fastest time in the world this year, the 20th fastest of all time by an athlete in that event. So, I mean, what's left to say about her? We promised we'd, she'd be in the green last week, but obviously she had to go and do this. In Adrian order to gave us a, a lot of. Uh hurt and hate the fact that we haven't done Adelecki more in the green and he was like if it's not there on Monday morning I'm going to be having words so we had to make the promise and uh, she earned she earned the right to be there alright that's this week's version of the Gillette Labs performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette 